podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The tenth time they've made it! They've won a playoff campaign! And they've done it at Wembley! And for the first time in 74 years, Brentford will play in the top flight of English football! Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Elam Road podcast, where on tonight's show... We're going to be previewing a big game in midweek down at the Amex on Wednesday night. Just before we get going, if you haven't already listened to our Luton review, go do so now. That episode is live across all of our platforms, so go and check that out. Tonight, though, I'm joined by sports producer, comedian and lifelong Brighton and Hove Albion fan, Rich Parr. Rich, hope all is well with you, mate, and thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, cheers. Uh, great to be here, and uh, it should be a good game on Wednesday. Yeah. Definitely. Just before we get going, guys, remember, if you haven't listened to the podcast before, please do go and subscribe to our YouTube and Spotify channels, leave a rating as well, and also give us a follow on our socials. That's at Eden Road on Twitter and at Eden Road Pod on Instagram. Rich, let's start with Brighton, obviously, but let's first start with the Chelsea game because it was quite recent. I watched the whole thing, quite unexpected with the circumstances of the game, but I actually fancied you before going into the game, and then when they went down to 10... I thought it was only a matter of time until the tide turned. What went wrong on on Sunday? Well, isn't that just amazing at how far Brighton and Hove Albion have come that you think that they could have won away at Chelsea? That's pretty amazing. Uh, I was uh, at the uh, Carabao Cup game away earlier this season and we absolutely battered them. Again, we seem to have nearly every other game 70% possession and we did that all over Chelsea. And I couldn't believe I walked away with us losing that game 1-0. Nicholas Jackson, I think, scored the winning goal there. He scored a few goals recently, but I, I didn't think he was much of a player that day. And, of course, he pops up and scores the winner. As for Sunday, yeah, they they did go down to 10 men just before half-time when Gallagher got sent off. But you've got to remember, Brighton are having a really bad injury spell at the moment. And the squad and the players that they had out on Sunday were so young, you know, you forget that Ferguson is only 19, but other players, Hinshelwood, only 18. Gilmore, one of the oldest players on the pitch for Brighton, he's 22 years of age. They were without Dunk, who was suspended, uh, Dahoud, who was suspended, uh, Tariq Lamptey and Sufati, both injured in, in the game the week before against Nottingham Forest. They were so depleted of players, and it was just a lack of maturity, and it was it was moments such as uh, the first goal which was scored by uh, Fernandez that they just kind of went to sleep and, and Colwell's goal as well that areas in that center of defense where had a Lewis Dunk been playing perhaps Brighton would have been a bit more commanding as far as when they were down to 10 men they do have a lot of the ball and they do create chances but they just don't put enough away at times and and that was really the the undoing and, and of course Chelsea with 10 men, they're going to be a bit more defensive. They're going to be a bit better organised, knowing that Brighton are going to have a lot of the ball. And, and Brighton, as has happened a few times this season, just couldn't really get through them, get past them. But I, I, I'm sure we'll, we'll get on to the European campaign as well. But it, it was riding off the wave of what happened in Athens as well. Squad rotation happening all the time. And I think Roberto De Zerbi said after the game that Brighton should have at least got a draw, perhaps a win. So they'll be disappointed that they didn't get a point at least. But, you know, Brighton and Hove Albion, disappointed not to get a point at Chelsea. It's amazing at how far we've come. Yeah, I mean, we've we've 
somehow pick up three points every time we go to Stamford Bridge. So so we've kind of come to expect <laughs> it uh, in the Premier League. But it's a good, good point you make about sort of how when Brighton, when Chelsea go down to 10, you kind of know the way they're going to set up. They're going to go into an even lower block and Brighton are going to have much more of the ball. Um, but I didn't I didn't know about this this injury crisis. I just assumed that Deserby likes changing his teams because I remember that he just has he sometimes he can just make four or five changes without actually affecting the performance so much but it seems like every club this season has have has 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 a long injury list um and I, I i said on the last podcast that i read a piece on the athletic that came out a few days ago about why there's been so many injuries this season so i'd still recommend going to read that listeners if um if you haven't done so yet before we you mentioned the european stuff i, I do want to talk about that before we talk about the premier league you're into the knockout rounds now after that incredible performance in Athens a couple of days ago, um, seen some great videos on social media of Brighton fans at the at some club somewhere in in Athens at a Fat Boy Slim gig after after securing the knockout round qualification. It looked like a great laugh. But <clears throat> as a fan who missed out on Europe last season, I think I can speak on every Brentford fan's behalf when I say that we're insanely jealous of of this European adventure you guys are going on. How how has it been so far? Well, fantastic. You know, as soon as the draw came out and we had arguably the hardest draw in all of the Europa League, all of the Brighton fans were thrilled because it was playing against teams such as Marseille, such as Ajax, and then to go to a really cool city such as Athens and then win to go through to the next round. It's just amazing. Look, Bat Boy Slim has been a, a massive part of Brighton going all the way back to the with Dean and before. So for him to kind of enjoy that moment, soak up the atmosphere and also give back to the fans that travelled. That was amazing to see. It, it, it was fantastic. But it, it does go back to what you said about thinking about Deserbi as someone who's always changing his squad. Now, if you look back at last season, he didn't really tinker that much. He pretty much had the first 11 throughout his last six months in, in the season. I think if you remember the FA Cup semi-final against Manchester United, Brighton barely had a bare 11 and they they just didn't get over the line because they didn't have a big enough squad and, and established enough players on the bench to come on, unlike Manchester United, who, who had some full internationals who they could bring on. While when you look at Brighton now, they are fighting on two fronts. They are trying to do well both in the Europa League and in the Premier League. And I think you've seen in September, October, you know, the win last week against Nottingham Forest is, I think, Brighton's first win in about six weeks or two months in September because they've had this Euro European expedition. But De Zerbi has tinkered a lot between the Premier League and the Europa League. And he's tried to bring in some very strong key players into both of these sides. Now, my only concern with this is that I'm not sure if we had to put out a strongest 11 tomorrow for a final, he knows what the best team is. And I think that's, that's going to be a problem which is further down. But right now, he, he is definitely going, all right, Premier League, I need to think who I'm going to play. Europa League, I need to think who I'm going to play. He's definitely preferred João Pedro and Antu Fati in the Europa League. He's definitely preferred Ferguson up, for, up front in the um, Premier League. But that, that's been the main kind of difference. And it's, it's the game after game after game that Brighton aren't really used to. And De Zerbi obviously made a huge difference with his tactics and the things that he changed last season. But he's not going to get much time on the training ground pitch if they're flying to Athens one week, then they're playing Chelsea the next, and then they're hosting Brentford on Wednesday. It, 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 it's a very different scenario that Brighton are facing. But for the fans, it's incredible. 
you know, to see Brighton beat Ajax 2-0 at home. You've got to remember, this was a team which have won Champions Leagues. So you go back to De Boers and Bergkamp and Clivert. Brighton battered them. Ajax <laughs> is doing very badly this season. They're not playing well. They, I, I said at the day uh, on the day, if Ajax were in the Premier League right now, they would be bottom of the league. But it's still a massive club. And, and Brighton just played them off the pitch. It was incredible. Would you say, well, you kind of answered my question. My next question was going to be sort of any signs of Europe and the Prem being too much to sort of do both and do well in both. Would you say that is the main reason for some of the inconsistent Brighton results? Because just looking at them this season, obviously there's that big one against Villa that was kind of really unexpected. Draws at home to Fulham and Sheffield United. And, and then the most recent is too, when you beat, when you hold on for a win against Forest with 10 men, but then lose to Chelsea lose to a 10-man Chelsea. Is is that the kind of main reason for the inconsistency this season in the Premier League? It's one of the reasons. I don't think it... It might be the main reason, but I don't think it overshadows the other reasons. The injury problems and suspensions haven't helped, obviously. I've got to say the, the defeat, I think it was at home to West Ham, that yeah. was because West Ham had the perfect game plan. They defended very deep. They had the low block. Brighton just couldn't get through them. And then they just hit them on the counter-attack. Mikel Antonio, Jared Bowen, they were sensational on the break. And that's the difference now between the Premier League, say, compared to 10, 15 years ago, is that in almost every club in the Premier League, they're going to take their one or two chances. And West Ham did that against Brighton. It was the perfect game plan. It was the same when Athens came to Brighton on the first game in the Europa League, they had the great game plan. They knew that the Brighton centre-backs want to feed it into the central midfielders. And they were just swarming the two defensive midfielders of Brighton, the, the double pivot there. And Brighton couldn't get the ball through. And Athens played that perfectly. And so there are a few of the issues. Uh, and I would be a little bit concerned. I, I mentioned that Athens game is that I'm not sure Brighton have a plan B. They have a brilliant way of playing. And the style has been well documented on, say, the TIFO videos, which talk about why Brighton kind of trapped the ball in defence, trying to bait the attackers on to try and build space so they can play it through the midfield to then turn into the attack. It is some of the most exciting football I've seen in my life. But once the team works out how to stop that, I'm not sure Brighton know what to do with a plan B yet. Do you think that's sustainable for, for De Zerbe's Brighton? I mean, I, I want to talk about De Zerbe in depth because I think that he's just a fascinating guy and he's gotten a lot of plaudits from, from a lot of people in the game. But do, do you think that kind of style of play is sustainable for, for Brighton competing on both fronts in Europe and in the Premier League? It's hard to say because... But I mean, would, would, if you, if you, would you take sort of finishing 16th to go on this crazy Europa League run? I don't think we'll finish 16th, but... But would I you think... bring, say, say you get to the final, say you get to the final of the Europa League, would you, would you take finishing 16th? Would you take the suffering of a, of a poor Premier League campaign? I think, I think Brighton fans would. I think uh, a great Europa league run with a few more great stories of um, big name teams to knock out on the way. I, I think they would. I think, if it was lower than 16th, then I'm, talk I'm talking about like dropping down towards 16th and ending 16th. But if we're talking like 17th, 16th, then that's a different thing. But 
you know, the, the way Brighton play, all right, they might not have a plan B. And, I, and I'm talking about games such as the Athens game, such as West Ham, such as Fulham, Sheffield United games. that They really should have won. But they will still have 70% possession against nearly every team. And I think when you have so much of the ball, you're not going to get a lot of defeats. There's going to be frustrating games where you might lose. There's going to be frustrating games where you felt you really should have won and end up with a draw. But I think more often than not, they're, they're going to get some decent wins. I, I, I expect them to finish in the top half. I think it depends on the Europa League run, whether that's 10th or whether that's 7th or 8th. Yeah, let's let's talk about some Brighton players individually. We've had a conversation about Evan Ferguson before. He's kind of stolen a lot of the headlines. Not that he's stood out massively, because I think there are some Brighton players that kind of go under the radar. I like Buonanotte, I think he's a great player. But talk talk to me about um, Evan Ferguson. What, what kind of player are we talking about with him? Well, the word I always use with Ferguson is potential. And I try not to get too carried away, mainly because of Aaron Connolly another Irish forward who came on the scene for Brighton a few years ago. He scored a double against Spurs in a 3-1 win at home. And I was like, this guy's really good. He's the next Wayne Rooney. And it hasn't really worked out for him. He's now gone to Hull. And when I see Ferguson, I'm like, this is the new Harry Kane. He's got everything. He's strong. He's powerful. He can finish. He's good in the air. He's got incredible link-up play. These are all fantastic assets. And he looks like if you were to mould the perfect striker, he would look like Evan Ferguson. Has he scored as many goals as I think he should have? No. I think I, I heard a stat that for his age or uh, as a teenager, he's now level with Wayne Rooney for the mo most goals in the calendar year or since Wayne Rooney. I think it was, I won't say 11. I, I'm not certain on that stat. But he's got six Premier League goals this season, three in that game against Newcastle. But they haven't really come since then. He's had a couple of league goals then. So he does need to start scoring a few more goals. That's what I think we need to see from him. But I would say, while I do compare him to Kane in, in the way he does link up well, there are moments and there are times in games where it's a bit like Erling Haaland for Man City. I'm not comparing him to Haaland, by the way. <laughs> but as in, he can be a little isolated. It depends on the personnel that Brighton are playing. But sometimes if, if he can't get the ball, he obviously can't shoot. He can't score. He, he can't deliver what he's there to do. There are moments in game that that happens. But I think he is a player with a really, really bright future. I think when you hear things like of being linked with the likes of Manchester United and other bigger clubs, I think it would be too soon. I think next season would be too soon. I think if, if a club really wanted him and they were like, oh, let's, let's sign him now before he coughs even more money than Tony Bloom would want. Uh, maybe you sign him and say, I'll do another season at Brighton. But I think he needs at least another 18 months at Brighton to, to improve as a player. And would I be right in saying that Deserby likes to set up with either him or Pedro? Has he, has, he, has he played them together this season or is it kind of, it's, it's Ferguson or Pedro? Well, what's interesting is in some ways, if you look at the way Brighton play they're a bit like an old 4-4-2. They'll have the four at the back, the double pivot, the two wingers, and then often he'll play two strikers. But it isn't too often João Pedro and Evan Ferguson. He liked Ferguson and Welbeck. He's, he's liked um, Antu Fati off the front. 
mainly off of Jao Pedro. He hasn't played Jao Pedro and Ferguson too often together. And I, I think Jao Pedro could also play wide, but Brighton are blessed with, with quite a few decent wingers at the moment. I would like to see a little more of that. I, I think the Zerbi just fears a little bit that by having both of them up there, they don't do enough of the defensive work and it might leave the midfields a little bit exposed. Talk, talk to me about Jao Pedro because he seems like he scores every week at the minute. Um, and for a player that's so young and he hasn't got a lot of Premier League experience, nor has he got much European experience, if, if any, but he, he kind of, he, he's hitting form at the moment. And I know Watford fans raved about him when, when you signed him, but just talk to me about him. Has he impressed you? Uh, what's his potential as well? Because in him and Ferguson, you've got two young players who, who look like they've got a very high ceiling. Well, it's amazing what a Brazil cap can do, right? <laughs> He's got that one cap for Brazil. He scored, what, four goals in the last three games, and I think he was on the bench for two of them. So he, he's been really good. He's been starting a lot more in the Europa League. I think he scored five goals in that competition now. I think he's level joint top scorer with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang of Marseille, who, who will be down at the Amex uh, in a couple of weeks. But he, he is a good player. He's fast. He, he's very good on the turn. Uh, he, he's good at link-up play. He does try the old little flick or flashy move a little bit more often than I would personally like. I would like to see him play a little bit more. I would like to see him play a little bit more up front with Ferguson. I think that could be quite devastating as a partnership. But again, the, the defensive frailties if, if Brighton do that. I think he could play in, on the wings as well. Uh, but yeah, he, he has looked really good. He is one of Brighton's or is Brighton's most expensive ever signing. So there is a lot of pressure and expectancy on him. But from what I've seen so far, I think he, he's a good player. I think he had a knock from the Athens game, which is why he couldn't start against Chelsea on Sunday. So we'll see if he can make the starting 11 against uh, Brentford on Wednesday. But I do suspect he'll probably play a part of that match. And what about any any other Brighton players that you expect could hurt Brentford on Wednesday? I know Matoma is, um, well, I think he's been one of the best players in the league this season, but him, any others? Matoma's brilliant. Uh, Simon Odingra, oh, yeah. what, a, what a player he's been this season for Brighton. And like Matoma, he spent last season on loan in the Belgian league just to kind of hone his craft. And he, he's kind of hit it running. And Brighton at the start of the season... Zerbi likes Solly March, he likes Matoma, they're, they're his first choice wingers. But the way that Adingra was playing, he was forcing his way into the side. And, and now with these injuries, he's, he's pretty much one of the first names on the team sheet. Uh, him and Bonanotta played on Sunday against Chelsea. Bonanotta was pretty dangerous from that right-hand side coming in. He scored that great goal off his left foot, which is definitely a stronger foot. He, he's got a lot of potential. He... He's still very young. Uh, I think had we not had a European campaign fighting on, on both fronts, maybe he, he'd have gone out on loan this season. But he's starting to get more game time because of these injuries. And he, I think he certainly took it on Sunday. And I, I think he could, could be dangerous. But Adingra, he, he's fast. He can play both wings. He connects nicely with the midfielders. And he's got a great finish, as, as we saw with a wonderful goal a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I think he scored against us in the summer series, I want to say, in pre-season at Dingra. And I think that was like the first time I'd heard about him because as as is the trend with Brighton players, you never hear about them until they score against <laughs> you. <laughs> but you said that he's young and um, Buenanotto is quite young as well. It's a trend with Brighton players. They're just all young and they're all pretty good and could be even better with, with a few years' time. 
let's uh, let's let's move on to Deserby because I mentioned at the top he's he's got massive praise from people like Pep Guardiola, managers, pundits, players. When when those kind of people are handing you flowers, you're doing something right. So what do Brighton fans think of him? How long do you see him at Brighton for? Do you because I I feel like there's and unfairly so is as is the trend with when clubs outside of the top six have a good manager, it's kind of like. Oh well, when's he going to move on to one of the bigger clubs then? Which I think gets he—he's been kind of portrayed as Pep's succeeder at, at Man City. So, how long do you think he's going to stay at Brighton? And uh, what, what do you think of him? Well, the Brighton fans absolutely love him, as as you'd expect. He is brought a style of football which is some of the best I've ever seen. It's the best style of football I've ever seen as a Brighton fan. It's some of the best I've, I've ever seen. Full stop. I went to the Brighton Brentford game, which I'm sure we'll touch upon, and there were moments there, and I was like, "What am I watching?" I felt like I was watching Barcelona under Pep Guardiola, <laughs> which some of the passengers would play. I, and I know, I know, this is Brighton and Hove Albion com- comparing to a side which had the likes of Messi and David Villa and Xavi and Iniesta, some of the greatest players in the world, and and just the way that the midfield like connecting with Solly March, I was like, this is unbelievable, and that all comes down to Roberto De Zerbi. As soon as he joined the club in his first interview with with the club's TV channel, with the online channel, he said, "I'm all about attack." And you you heard from his previous exploits at his previous clubs that all right, they might concede three, but they might will go on and score four, and we've definitely seen that with Brighton. Brighton have got one of the best attacks in the league and one of the worst defences. I don't think they've kept a clean sheet in the whole of the Premier League. Brighton, like Brentford, will almost certainly score on Wednesday. It's almost a guarantee. But Brighton will almost certainly score as well. So uh, for all your betting fans listening, uh, (laughs) 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 and that is all down to the Zerbi. And, And we spoke earlier about the style of play of I've never seen two centre halves who've never who who never look to play the ball out to fullback. They're always looking to feed it into the central midfielders. And even if they do have to play it wide, they will play it to the wingers rather than the fullbacks. It will go to the wingers, and then the fullbacks will provide those overlapping runs. So the style of play that he has brought, the Brighton fans absolutely love. And a lot of people spoke really highly of Graham Potter, and Graham Potter did some fantastic things for Brighton. But that was a really good passing style, but it was very passive. It was just, we keep hold of the ball, we keep hold of the ball. Well, what Brighton does, they keep hold of the ball, but they're trying to do something with it all the time. They're always looking for openings. They're always trying to bait the opposition. As far as how long Brighton can keep him, I would say that Brighton have made some amazing financial decisions over the last few seasons, the money they got for Caicedo, the money they got for Ben White, the money they got, uh, all right, not so much for McAllister, but they still made a good profit, Trossard, the the way they've been able to buy these players cheap and then sell them on for multi, multi-million pounds is incredible. But losing Roberto De Zerbi would be the biggest loss, in my opinion, in the history of Brighton Hove Albion. It, it's inevitable. It's just a matter of when it happens. And I think Brighton fans would only kind of stomach it if it was a club they understand about the move for. Even Potter going to Chelsea, Brighton fans didn't like at all. I think we are talking about the level of, you mentioned Manchester City. I, I don't see that happening anytime soon. Lots yeah. of talk about Carlo Ancelotti leaving Real Madrid. 
in the next year. He will be sensational for them. Uh, that, that's the level of club I believe that he can go to and that he can manage. Uh, maybe one of the big Italian clubs one day. He's got good links with AC Milan, Juventus, Napoli. They're all the type of sides I feel that he could go to one day. But obviously, Tony Bloom is going to try and keep hold of him for as long as possible. I think Tony Bloom would really not let him leave Brighton unless it was the end of the season now. I haven't seen what happens to Graham Potter. And while we all know about how Bloom has probably got a, a short list already of who his next manager is, I think they will do their hardest to keep the Zerbi unlike with Potter, who they kind of allowed to speak to Chelsea and then kind of let him leave. But I, I think, as I said, I'll reiterate it, his departure will be the biggest loss in the history of Brighton Hove Albion. Oh, it's high praise, but I think it's fully deserved since since he's kind of taken over. It might sound like hyperbole, but since he's taken over some of the things that Brighton have done, the fact that you're in Europe, the fact that you look like like likely to progress as well. It, I, the thing is, Brighton were drawn in that group, and I just thought with the football that you play, I honestly, I wasn't, I wasn't having any worries if you're going to go out of the group stage, which is just mental. But let, you mentioned, you know, Brighton's transfer strategy, buying, buying cheap and selling high. Let's let's talk a little bit about Brentford because there are a lot of similarities between our clubs from from that kind of transfer strategy, from how our owners made their money, recent climbs up the football pyramid. The list, the list is is large. What have you made of Brentford so far this season, so far in the Premier League? Because you've been covering sports for ages, so you've kind of seen Brentford's progression over over the last kind of three years. Yeah, it's, it's a similar story to, to Brighton of the way you kind of came up through the pyramids and then you've got a very kind of savvy owner with a plan. And, you know, you've got a beautiful new stadium as well, similar to us. And it, 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 it feels like probably for you guys, a bit like for Brighton, parallel universes to, to compare to 20 years ago. As, as far as uh, I haven't seen enough of Brentford this season, obviously, I know you've been out uh, without Ivan Tony, which is, is obviously quite a, a bit of a loss um, and your goalkeeper's changed. Uh, I've seen moments of, of your new goalkeeper not looking quite as comfortable as perhaps your previous goalkeeper who, who did very well against Brighton before, uh, David Raya. But, uh, and of course, probably one of my favourite players, uh, Rico Henry, he's been out for a while. To you guys since about September, but I do know that you know Brian Vermo is is a danger. He he is going to cause what will be a pretty makeshift Brighton defence. It will probably be Van Hecker and Eagle who didn't have a great game together against Chelsea on Sunday. You know they they're going to have opportunities to 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 score and, and Whistler has looked lively as well for you guys this season. So they're they're players that I wouldn't necessarily say that. Brighton would be desperate to sign, but we'll, we'll definitely be wary of on Wednesday. I think Norgard's a very good player as well. I would say Brighton's midfield rotates so much at the moment that I'm not sure who he's going to go up against. Um, so uh, that's definitely an area which he could kind of take control of against Brighton at the MX on Wednesday. Yeah, we're we're also hoping that Matty Ensign is, is fit because he hasn't played in the last... Mm two games but he has been one of if not the best player for us this season and last season he's he's like the creative kind of hub in in our midfield so we're hoping he's going to be fit in in a, in a game where you said that could potentially be changes in midfield so 
uh, might be a good one for him to come back. I think it's uh, safe to say that last year at the Amex, you kind of touched on it earlier, that 3-3 on the day. But you, but you could have had six or seven or eight. Genuinely, I remember being in that way and just thinking, please, please, can the, the final whistle just come? And you got the penalty, if I'm saying that? It was, it was a late penalty, wasn't it? To, to yeah, late penalty to equalise. But like I said, you, you deserved all three points massively. What kind of game are you expecting on Saturday? What with all of Brighton injuries? I know Thomas Frank is looking forward to this one. I remember him saying in a press conference that he's been looking forward to this game specifically because he likes to sort of pip himself up against, off against the sort of best tactical minds in the league. And obviously, Roberto De Zerbi is one of those minds. So how how do you expect or what do you expect from saturday's game uh, from tomorrow wednesday's game sorry <laughs> well I, I, as i said earlier I, I expect goals um how how many of them i'm not sure i would have thought deserve would be like let's not concede too many goals <laughs> uh so and and as you say brentford will be wary of of the goals that brighton can score and, and the threats that they possess from the likes of Ferguson, from the likes of João Pedro, from Adingra, Buena Notte. Like, there are lots of players who can get on the score sheet for Brighton. But, you know, it's a bit like that Brentford game last year. Brighton will have chances. It's just a matter, matter if they take enough of them. They just haven't really been taking as many of them as they should. But again, I, I use that West Ham game. I think West Ham had three chances, scored three goals. Brighton are more like, oh, we'll have nine chances and we'll score three goals. They're just not converting quite as well as they probably should have. I, I could, I see at least one all. I could see two all. Um, you know, my heart is always going to uh, predict for Brighton, particularly at home. But again, I used Fulham as an example. It was one all against Fulham. Brighton completely in control. Fulham got the equaliser, stifled the way Brighton tried to play it, and, and they got a point. And, and I could see something similar happen again on, on Wednesday. So I'm probably going, my head's saying 1-1, my heart saying 2-1 Brighton. Well, regardless of the result, I think we can we can both agree it's going to be a good game. It always is when, mm-hmm. when us two play each other. I think that'd be a good point to wrap things up, Rich. Thanks so much for coming on the Edinburgh podcast. We'll be back early next week to go over the Brighton and Sheffield United game this Saturday. We might also have a Sheffield United preview coming out this week. So remember to stay tuned across our socials for any updates on that. And just before we go, guys, also remember to subscribe to our YouTube and Spotify channels, leave a rating. And like I said, give us a follow on our socials at the Eden Road on Twitter and at Eden Road Pod on Instagram. Rich, it's been a pleasure, mate, and good luck on Wednesday night. Sports Social Podcast Network.